Good morning. You ever been under pressure before? No? You ever try to tell a joke in front of a bunch of people and wonder how it's going to go? There's literally a cricket in the room. So I'm not going to try any jokes today, all right? Not only that, apparently this morning I was told that with the new microphone, everything that I say is going to be recorded, every single thing, okay? So I'm going to stick to the script today as best I can. I'm already off script, so that's how well that went. I'm happy that we're back. It's good to see you guys. I enjoyed very much last week, uh, Student Sunday, also our picnic. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we were really hoping to get back by then uh, so that we could experience uh, some of the things that the kids had to say and the kids had to do. Um, appreciated everybody's help and, and, and certainly their testimony and, and Ashley's or uh, Haley's as well. Uh, she was up here singing today, and uh, I really appreciate that. And, uh, but uh, life rolls on. We've got, we've got things to do. I, we got, though, to come back to a tremendous gift, which was Nicole getting baptized. You see, we got to look forward to that the whole time we were gone. Sometimes people go on vacation, they come back, and it's a drudge. We get to come back, and, and it's a wonderful time and a gift. So thank you for that. I don't know if you specifically planned that as a great homecoming for us, but uh, I appreciate it if you did. And if you didn't, let's just pretend you did, all right? So thank you very much. There's a couple things going on we need to remember as we move forward. Don't forget tomorrow, uh, everybody, at least, I think most people in this country are taking the day off, Labor Day. Um, I'm not, apparently, because Ashley has a whole list of stuff, so I might be here, okay, just so I can take a break. We'll see, but uh, tomorrow the office is closed. Please keep that in mind. September 17th, our students get back into the routine of Collide on Sunday nights. Now, that's going to start at 5.30. Please keep that in mind, 5.30 to 7.30. There's a lot of things going on. There's meals and things like that. The meal is at 5 o'clock, a little bit earlier. Um, please keep all those things in mind for September 17th. It's on Sunday nights. That's when Collide starts again. And then WrestleMania picks up on the 20th of September, uh, 6 to 7.30. Anytime you guys want to help. There's all, you know how it goes, right? We always need people who are willing to teach or lead or help. Uh, it's structured very much like vacation Bible school. And crew leaders we can always use. I mean, that's the backbone of practically anything we do with the kids. Uh, crew leaders to help walk kids around and, and uh, take them to different stations and so forth. Uh, but you can talk to Ashley about that. You can talk to Katrina, me, call the office about that. Please, please help out with those things. And I will be teaching a class also during Russia Mania. Uh, that's going to go all eight weeks. Now, as I've put this class together, most likely that's going to go the eight weeks of Russia Mania and then also eight weeks uh, next year when we have sort of our second Russia Mania. Uh, so please keep that in mind. It's the history of the church. With that, we're going to talk about the history of the Bible where the church came from, the different, the, the different moments 
in the church uh, to lead us to where we are today. And also, Rush Run 5K is coming up. That's October 28th. That's a Saturday morning. Uh, and you can sign up for that at rushchurch.com. That's going to be a little bit different than we did it last year. This year, and we'll have this announcement for you a little bit later on, we're going to do Trunk or Treat on Thursday night because they've changed that here in the village. Uh, they tried Saturday for a while, and now they're back to, now they're back to Thursday night, and we want to do that at the same time. Last year, we kind of did the whole thing on the same day, but this year we're going to do Trunk or Treat on Thursday evening with the rest of the village, and then Rush Run is going to be... Um, on Saturday, Saturday the 28th. I don't know everything. Only one. I mean, obviously it was going to come from you, but, but just one. That's, I don't know everything. There's things that I've learned. There's things I've come to discover. There's things I'm at peace with, but there are other things about tomorrow, about a year from now, 20 years from now, I don't know, that I don't know. And I don't always know the way God's going to work in my life. I don't always know the way God's going to work in your life. I know that there are things that, uh, that I want. There are pictures that I have of my life and of your life and the life of the church. But I'm not always sure that that's the same picture that God has. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen a thousand years from now. Our job, even though we can be tempted to get a little frustrated from time to time, our job is to trust God with our lives. That's our job. That's the call. That's been the call from the very beginning, to trust God with our lives, our existence, our identity, that Luke brought up, by the way, I grew up with Luke. He's been stealing my thunder for years, so if I do that, don't worry about him. He'll be fine, all right? But we are called to trust God with our very lives. That's the job of those who follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, also for this, this incredible gift here today to worship, to learn, to be challenged. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for Nicole. We thank you for this, uh, this new life. We thank you, Father, for tremendous gifts that we get to participate in today. Help us, Father, to express, to know, to feel gratitude for those wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk. Habakkuk. This is where we're going to start. Prophets. We're going to go through some of these prophets over the next few weeks, and Habakkuk tends to be, or seems to be, one of my favorite ones. Church, prophets are not fortune tellers. I think you guys know this. We've talked about this before. Prophets don't uh, give us special gifts as far as exactly what tomorrow's going to bring. They do not actually, by their truest definition, talk about the future. Although, some of the things they have to say talk about the future. What do prophets do? What's the definition of a prophet? They relay the words of God to people. That's what a prophet does. 
A prophet is given a glimpse into the heart and the mind of God through special revelation, and he is told to reveal that to people. That's simply what a prophet is. Now, sometimes those words are about tomorrow, but sometimes those words are about today. Sometimes those prophecies are even reminders and lessons from yesterday. We go through, the next few weeks, the prophetic books. And we've said this a lot about the prophets. We've said this a lot about Paul's letters, the epistles, many different letters. Something that we need to remember if we're going to see these things correctly. Prophecies, especially these prophecies in Scripture, are written and recorded. They are spoken for us. But they are not to us. You understand the difference there? Just like the epistles, just like the letters in the New Testament, they are a part of the Word of God. God wants them to be a part of His Word for you and me. But they were not and are not written to you and me. All of those things are occasional. There was something happening, that was the occasion, and then the prophecy was given or the letter was written. So we get to learn and apply to our lives different parts and lessons from prophecies or from letters and from epistles, but that doesn't mean that they're written specifically to us. The occasion nor the specifics are meant to be the same in our day or in our lives. It's important you remember that if you're going to understand prophecy. And you may get in your life, you may have been confused about God's plan for his people. At least the temporal plan. Maybe not the eternal plan. We live eternally with Jesus. But we get confused sometimes. Sometimes we get a little frustrated about the temporary plan. Tomorrow or next week or a year from now. We get frustrated. We don't like to say we get frustrated with God. We say we get frustrated with people, right? Well, we don't get frustrated with God, or at least we don't like to claim that, but what about God being all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and claims to love justice? You ever look around and have a hard time seeing things like this, and then you question God, get frustrated with God, get angry. God, what are you going to do? Why are these things the way they are? I want to start with Habakkuk. Because you have probably related to him in some way in your life. I know that I have. Habakkuk is a part of what we refer to as the minor prophets in Scripture. There's 12 minor prophets, five major prophets. And, and the only difference, the reason they call some prophets major and some prophets minor has nothing to do with importance, has nothing to do with depth. It's simply the length of the book, the length of the prophecy or the prophetic book. Habakkuk is what I have referred to in the past as Job Part 2. There's a lot of similarities between Job's search during personal hardship and Habakkuk's search during people's spiritual hardship and disobedience. The questions that he poses to God, maybe questions you've posed. What are you doing? What's happening? Why is it happening? What about this? What are you going to do about it and when? Those things ever roll through your mind as you're thinking about God and the people around you. 
Now, the book itself gives no background to Habakkuk. Some prophecies have that, or some prophets have that recorded, but Habakkuk doesn't. I don't know why. Perhaps because he was so well-known at the time, he needed no introduction or no explanation as to who he was. It simply says a prophecy that came to Habakkuk or a burden that came to Habakkuk. And we will find in there that he prophesied most probably during the late 600s B.C., uh, early 500s B.C., just before Babylon uh, and Nebuchadnezzar marched on Nineveh. Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar were going to march on Nineveh, and then they were going to work their way south all the way to Jerusalem, going through the land like locusts or crickets or whatever it was. Eventually, they were going to be in Jerusalem. And if this is true, we see this. We're going to see this in the, uh, in the text. If this is the case, then he was a contemporary of Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. You get the impression that Habakkuk was very frustrated. But here's what he was frustrated about. His own people. His own people. He was frustrated with the debauchery of his own people. He was frustrated with the injustice of his own people. He wasn't frustrated with everybody who did not profess the name of God. He was frustrated with the people who did. That was his focus. That's what caused the anger in him. Who are the people of God? Church. There's the people of God, right? The church. He wasn't talking about some foreign land. He wasn't talking about some general culture. He was talking about his own people. You see, now in our heads, don't think this hasn't happened. I get it. We started nodding along, and now we're thinking, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Do I really think that? I, I thought you were just talking about cultural in general. Now, he was frustrated with his own people, people who profess the name of God the people of Judah. Josiah had made some serious righteous changes to Judah and Jerusalem, but now they have so quickly regressed under his successor, Jehoiakim. And this regression, this affront to God, weighs so heavy on Habakkuk's heart and makes him mad. He begins to question God's silence and apparent lack of action to discipline his people. Look at chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, or the burden that Habakkuk received. Ask yourself, if you've asked these questions as we go into verse 2, How long, Lord, how long must I call for help, but you do not listen? Job part 2, right? That's what I said. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law, this Old Testament law through Moses, that you laid out and we were supposed to follow and had consequences for sin, therefore, this law is paralyzed. It has no teeth. Justice never prevails. You ever say that to yourself? Justice never prevails. 
the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Are you indifferent to all the sin I see around me, says Habakkuk? You've probably seen sin around you. You've probably seen sin in the world in which you live. But you've probably even seen sin amongst the people that you identify with. If you are God, all-knowing and all-powerful, then it seems to me that you must just not care. How long are you going to let evil go undisciplined or even unpunished? These people, by the way, are Habakkuk's people, not someone else, violate your righteous decrees. They violate your perfect standard all the time. And therefore, you seem, God, you seem powerless. This might seem like a reasonable request or reasonable questions to pose to God. Yet we may forget a few things in the process, especially if those are some of the thoughts that are going around in our head. Number one, Habakkuk says, look, these people are evil. They violate your law. They violate your perfect standard. Punish them. Smite them. If God's going to send fire from heaven to smite anyone who breaks his standard of perfection, you and I better be under a pretty strong roof, right? We better be under a pretty strong roof. A lot of people that violate God's standard of perfection. Church, if you've accepted Jesus, you are righteous. That doesn't mean you're good. You understand that? If you've accepted Jesus, you are put in a right standing before God. That's righteousness. But that doesn't mean you're good. There are a lot of troubles and difficulties and temptations that we have. There's a lot of sins we commit and we know about it. Frankly, church, there's sins we commit in our ignorance we don't even know about. Don't let anybody take away your righteousness because that's a promise from Jesus himself. But don't start walking around thinking you're good. Because if you're good, then you have no reliance upon forgiveness. Upon the love of Jesus. Righteous and good are not the same thing. That leads to the second thing we forget sometimes. As we're looking around at the evil and problems and the difficulties and the sin and so forth of the people around us. Second thing is this, God's incredible patience. Yes, God loves justice, but God also loves mercy. God loves justice. He also loves patience and mercy. By the way, for which we should be eternally grateful. And why? Both to draw to him those who have rejected him and for the sake of the righteous. This is why it seems many times God tarries. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13. You've probably heard this story before. Jesus told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among, or sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? The enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, this would be Habakkuk, Do you want us to go and pull them up? 
might be you. You going to the fire. Do you want us to go and pull them up? You might be Habakkuk. What does Jesus say? What's the Father say in his incredible patience and mercy? He says, no, for the sake of the righteous, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. A harvest is coming. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And I know so far it seems like we should not be like Habakkuk, that I'm, I'm trying to tell you not to be like him. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not the case. Notice Habakkuk's motives for his complaints. It's not an affront to himself that angers him. It's an affront to God that angers him. This is Christ-like. You know, there's, there's very few stories where you kind of see anger in Christ, but there's one in the temple where Jesus gets pretty upset and it's got nothing to do with him it's got to do with this affront to God remember this is still Old Testament before the resurrection of Jesus this is still the temple and he gets angry that there's an affront to the father this same anger this same frustration is in it's the motivation in Habakkuk's life it is Christ-like it wasn't the cross that upset Jesus, the insults. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't a hundred other things. We see him get most upset about this temple in front of the Father. If you are angry, church, listen. If you're angry, and listen close. Because I know that there's not a bunch of people in this room who get angry just at the affront of God. They get angry at an affront to themselves. If you are angry, if you're frustrated, whether it's people around you or whether it's the culture in which you live, why are you angry? What is your motivation or your thoughts or your feelings? Is it for your glory or is it for God's? It's going to change. The way you see the world, it would change the way the patience, change the patience that you have, the mercy that you show, because we can be upset that people are disrespectful to your God or your Father, but we can also know that, trust me, God can take care of himself. See, a lot of our anger and our frustration, whether it's with our people or whether it's with the culture around us, is not because of an affront to God, it's because it's an affront to what we want. And if you think that's hidden, it's not. People just don't call you out on it because they're trying to be polite. Habakkuk's anger is because he loves his God, not himself. Christ's anger was because he loved the Father. What about him? Righteous anger. And because of that, Look at what all of these prophets and Christ himself and the apostles were able to go through and endure with joy. Because they got upset only when there was a disrespect to God, yet they knew God could take care of himself. This is the motivation in Habakkuk's life. But then God does answer Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk wants revival. But God, 
He's sending judgment. There is a time when judgments come. It is happening and it will happen. Read through Romans chapter 1. Habakkuk 1, 5 through, 10, 5 through 11. Look at the nations. This is God responding to this complaint. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days, now key in on this last part, that you would not believe even if you were told. You ever want to know God's plans? Boy, this is Job part two again, isn't it? Where were you, Job? You want to know my plans? Where were you when I built everything? He says to Habakkuk, you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. Habakkuk, you're a dog chasing cars. You wouldn't know what to do with it if you actually caught it, right? We want to know God's plans. We want to know what he's going to do tomorrow. We want to know what he's going to do about this affront usually to ourselves. God says, you wouldn't even believe it if I told you. Stop wasting your time and mine. Because I've got to show you and you've got to be patient in the process. You want to try to grasp what I understand even if I told you you wouldn't believe it. How many times, how many times does God people, does God say to his people, how many times, it's almost essentially, does he, he asks them, he says, do you mind if I run my cosmos? Huh? He ever say that to you? In your life, this life that you've given to him? Do you mind if I run my kingdom? Let me handle this. Certainly, when there's a front, an affront to himself, he usually doesn't put that in the form of a question. Ultimately, this is what both Job and Habakkuk come to understand. It's the very thing you and I are meant to learn and apply in this book of prophecy. This prophecy is the very famous line, Habakkuk 2.4. This will be on your screen. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, for the just or the righteous shall live by Habakkuk says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I'm pretty upset by it. God says, you live by faith, Habakkuk. That's what you do. That's what you're called to do. You're called to trust me. He goes on further. He says this, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, Habakkuk, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. He is going to send the Babylonians to destroy Judah and the people in Jerusalem. That's the judgment he's bringing because Habakkuk's got a problem with the sin of his people. This is the exile that God always knew was going to happen. So here's Habakkuk asking God, don't you see the problems, issues, difficulty, and sin around me? What are you going to do? You haven't told me. I don't know. I don't understand. Apparently, what Habakkuk didn't know was Isaiah prophesied about this very thing 130 years before Habakkuk was even born. 
Don't ever think God doesn't know what's going on. Don't ever think God doesn't see your life and the hardship and the issues and the sin and the debauchery around you. God's not two steps ahead of us. He's eternity ahead of us. Our job is to trust him in a fallen world, in a fallen culture, with one problem after the next. 130 years before Habakkuk, Isaiah and God were already talking about this. And what does he say? You wouldn't believe it even if I told you. In other words, put it in my way, he'd say, son, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right? I wonder how many times God says that to us. God, I'm wringing my hands because bad things are happening and I don't know what to do. What are you going to do? Do I need to do it myself? God says, son, you have no idea how much further ahead I am than you. Yeah, it should foster humility in our lives, but it should also foster confidence and peace and trust that God knows full well every area of your life and everything you struggle with and every hardship that comes into your house and into your home, every hardship and struggle that you face in a fallen world and culture. Well, let's not beat around the bush. You know what I'm talking about, right? The world is a mess. God's not. God's not. And you belong to him. Right? Habakkuk wants revival, though. I just want you to make them nice again. God says, oh, no. You want it? You got it. Here comes judgment. Next week, we're going to look at Habakkuk's response to that. You know what he says? Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't mean all that. Careful what you pray for, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you for who you are. We love you that you get to teach us incredible lessons of trust. We love you, Father, that you, we get to read your servants, that you get to challenge us to have the right perspective, the right desire in our own hearts and in our lives when it comes to some of our anger. Father, we don't want to be like the fallen world. We want to lay our lives in front of you every day and just trust that you do what you do for our good and your glory. We acknowledge, Father, that you know far more than we ever will. So, Father, in this prophecy, in these lessons, we ask as we leave this place, I ask as we leave this place, and I ask for every person in here, help us, Father, to look at our homes, our lives, our church, our world, and to trust you, to give our lives over to you and to trust you so that we might maintain our peace and our joy, even though, Father, we know that sin abounds. Let it not abound in our own lives. Let us live by faith today, not by fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing, please. And here's Haley. You want me to sing with you? Yeah. I'll tell you, you one time. You stood before.
You don't have to like sin. Denny, one of these days, I'm going to tell you to bring one for everybody. All right? Diet Mountain Dew, right? Okay. Okay. We'll make sure. I don't know when to start if I don't hear that. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to see everybody. It's good to be be back preaching. I, I really enjoyed last week. That was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the picnic. I enjoyed Student Sunday, um, and we were hoping to get back by then so so we could participate in that, and we got a chance to do that. I appreciate what everybody did and many different parts and lessons and testimony and and. Um, Haley's testimony as well, and she was up here singing today. I appreciate that. A couple things, just as a reminder, as we go into the fall season, um, tomorrow, Labor Day, pretty much everybody in the world, I think, or at least this country, is taking the day off work, and so am I, so the office is going to be closed, Um, although Ashley's got there's a huge list of stuff for this day. So I'll probably be here just like so take a break. If you call, I might be here. She said, I, I, what are we doing Monday? She said, I know what you're doing Monday. I don't want to hear the rest of it. So office is going to be closed tomorrow. September 17th, Sunday, September 17th, Collide is picking back up. This is what we do. During the summer, it's kind of, you know, some weeks and some not weeks. But on September 17th, we start Collide again. Meals at 5 o'clock. That's a little bit different time than it has been in the past. Keep that in mind. Then from 5.30 to 7.30 is Collide here at the church. September 20th, Russiamania begins. Uh, Wednesday evenings. And from 6 to 7.30, it's set up very similar to kind of like a mini vacation Bible school. And if you're looking for a place to serve, a place to help, we always need help with that. Crew leaders, crew leaders kind of the backbone of just about everything we do with the kids. You know, we need somebody to wrangle the kids, right? And to make sure they don't get hurt, make sure they're going in the right spots. And I mean, that's the, that's the uh, important, that's an important role. So if you want to participate in that, I encourage you to do that. Talk to Ashley, talk to me, talk to Katrina, call the church office, um, so you can be a part of that. I'm also going to teach a lesson during Russiamania uh, on the history of the church. While we're doing that, we talk about the history of Scripture. Uh, how did this, the way it is, come to be, and why is that so important? So we're going to talk about that connected with the entire history of the church. Uh, we're going to see good things and bad things in the church. So I encourage you to be, be here for that. It's going on during Russiamania. Now, as I've laid that lesson out, I wanted to do something like that in eight weeks. That's impossible. So that's probably going to start during Russiamania and then, and then finish up the following year during Russiamania during the wintertime. So you can be here for that if you'd like. And then October 28th, Rush Run. If you're a runner, sign up. If you're not a runner, you can still sign up. That may make a difference. You can go with me. We'll walk. We'll crawl. Um, you know, we use this. Not only is it fun, we use it to raise money for our students and our youth. That's the 28th coming up in October. But you can start signing up now at rushchurch.com. 
it's going to be a little bit different this year with um, uh, with uh, Trunk or Treat. Trunk or Treat is going to be on Thursday. We'll advertise that later. Trunk or Treat is going to be on Thursday instead of Saturday, and uh, Rush Run is going to be on Saturday, though. So please keep those things in mind as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us. Father, you've given us an incredible gift here today, the chance to come together like this and, and, and worship you, to sing songs to you, to learn from you, to learn about you, to be challenged. Father, help us to, to be here with gratitude because of this tremendous gift. I thank you, Father, that we have your word, that we have servants in your word, that we can learn from principles and, 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 and lessons that we can apply to our life. I thank you that we get to read and know a portion of peace, at least, of your mind and your heart. Help us, Father, today to be true and accurate. Help us also, though, to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Habakkuk. Habakkuk. See, now you got to think, don't you? Where's this thing? Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament. Keep thumbing through, you'll find it. Habakkuk. We're going to go into some of the prophets, some prophecy. We're going to go into starting with the minor prophets. And Habakkuk is one of those minor prophets. Now, the reason we're starting with Habakkuk is because I'm preaching and I get to choose. And that happens to be one of my favorites. I like what he's, I, I like this conversation and these questions that he poses to God and how we can learn from those things and apply them to our lives. So we're going to take some time over the next few weeks to go through some of the prophets. Now, for my money, prophets and prophecy in Scripture are some of the more difficult things to read through and to fully understand and realize how we can apply them. Um, the second half of Daniel is very difficult. First half is very easy and very good or very nice to to read through and apply. The second half is very difficult. Um, Habakkuk is a little bit easier than that, but I think we're going to be able to see some incredible lessons that can change the way we see the world and hopefully change or reaffirm sometimes the way we see God. Prophets, you've heard this before. I've told you this before. Prophets are not fortune tellers. Prophets are not fortune tellers. They do not, by the strictest definition, even tell anything about the future. What prophets do, and this is a great definition for you for the rest of your life, prophets are specifically called to speak the words of God. That's what a prophet does. Usually those words are received by special revelation. God speaks to the prophet. God speaks through a vision. God speaks through a dream, whatever it may be. And then he challenges, he commissions that prophet to speak to the people. That's what a prophet is. Now, sometimes that message or those words that God gives the prophet are about tomorrow. And so, sometimes the prophet says, talks about things that are going to happen in the future. But sometimes the message is about today. Sometimes the message is about yesterday. Reminders and lessons that we can learn. But a prophet is someone who speaks the words of God. Prophetic books, they are written for us. But we've, I don't know how many times we've done this. The prophets, the letters, the epistles, they are written for us. But they are not written to us. 
They are written for us, but not to us. What does that mean? That means from the prophets, we can learn lessons and principles that we need to apply, and they are specifically there by God for you and me. But the occasion that, uh, that's happening in the world or in that particular group of people or nation, the occasion and the specifics are never meant to be exactly the same, ever, whether that's the prophets or whether that's letters that some of the apostles have written. So the Bible is written, or these letters, these prophets, whatever it is, they're written for you and me to read through, to study, to apply, to understand. But bear in mind, they're not written to us. And if we think they're written to us, then we're going to get some wrong ideas about prophecy and about some of the letters in Scripture and things like that. So it's important to see the principles that we're going to learn, the lessons we're going to learn. Do you ever get confused? <laughs> I can answer that for you. Do you ever get confused about what God's doing? Do you ever get confused about what He's not doing? Uh, about your life and, and, and His plan for it? Temporal plan. I think a lot of people uh, uh, understand or at least just fully believe the eternal plan God has forgiven us of our sins. If we accept that gift, we live forever with Him. But I'm talking about the things that are going to happen tomorrow or next year or 20 years from now. Or as you look at your life, wondering when or how or why God's going to specifically intervene. Do you ever get confused? Do you ever get frustrated? Frustrated with God. See, we don't like to say that we're going to get frustrated with God. We don't say that stuff out loud. We say well, we're frustrated with people or we're frustrated with the situation. Well, wait a minute. Isn't God all-knowing? Isn't God all-present? Isn't God all-powerful? We don't like to say we're getting frustrated with God. Doesn't God claim to love justice? We get frustrated sometimes about our lives and events in our lives. We get frustrated sometimes with people around us and things around us, especially Gary. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, we're going to talk about Habakkuk today. Some people pronounce this Habakkuk, but that's wrong. That's okay. It just depends on what syllable you want to put the emphasis, right? It changes how you Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a part of what we refer to as the minor prophets. Minor prophets has nothing to do with the importance of what we read and what we learn. It has nothing to do with the depth of it. It simply has to do with the length. That's it. There are some short prophecies, short books of prophecy, 12 of them in Scripture. And since they're short, they're referred to as the minor prophets. Um, and the longer ones, of course, are referred to as the major prophets. Habakkuk is what I have referred to before as Job Part 2. And why do I do that? Because there's a lot of similarities between Job's search during personal hardship and Habakkuk's search during hardship of his people, spiritual hardship, debauchery, all kinds of disobedience. And, and, and sometimes Habakkuk's wrestling with some of the very same questions. God, what are you doing? What's happening? Why is it happening? What are you going to do about it and when? These are some of the questions Habakkuk poses to God as he looks at the sin and the temptation and trial and injustice around him. 
The book itself gives no background uh, to Habakkuk, and I don't know why, but perhaps because during that time he was so well known that he needed no explanation of who he was. We'll see in the text, not this week, but yeah, yeah, this week we'll see in the text, that Habakkuk was prophesying in the late 600s B.C., um, early 500s B.C., uh, he was alive a little bit longer than that, but that's when this prophecy was happening. He prophesied during the time, or just before the time, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were going to move on Nineveh up in Assyria. And then they were going to make their way south, moving like locusts over, the, uh, over Palestine, over that whole area, and eventually wind up in the southern kingdom of Judah. They were going to sack Jerusalem. All of these things. And, and, and Habakkuk's prophesying right before that time, just before that time. So if he is, uh, this is true, and it is, then he's a contemporary of people like Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Daniel being a very young man at the time, but still, uh, about the same time that those guys are living and those guys are prophesying. prophesying. And you get the impression, of course, when you read through Habakkuk, that he is extremely frustrated. But he's angry and frustrated not with the cultures around him, not with foreign nations, not with oppression from outside Israel or outside Judah. Habakkuk is frustrated with his own people. That's what's upsetting him. The people who have professed the name of God. Now, this is a lot of years later, but God still has a people and still has a kingdom. It's called the church. And people still profess the name of God. This is who Habakkuk was angry with. This is what frustrated him. You see, when we hear things like Habakkuk asking God, what are you going to do? What's the problem? How are you going to intervene? How are you going to stop these problems? How are you going to stop this sin? How are you going to you know, discipline this nation? We nod our heads along in agreement. And then we realize Habakkuk's actually talking about his own people his own family, his own friends, those who profess the name of God. Now we're wondering, should we be saying the same thing? He's frustrated that people are not living up to their glorification of God that they profess, and they're certainly not living up to the law that God has given them. Debauchery and lack of justice. Josiah, King Josiah, had made serious righteous changes to Judah and Jerusalem, but now they have quickly regressed under his successor Jehoiakim. And this regression, this affront to God, weighs heavy on Habakkuk's heart. It makes him mad. He begins to question God's silence and apparent lack of action to discipline his people. Chapter 1 of Habakkuk, starting in verse 1, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, or the burden that Habakkuk the prophet received. Verse 2, ask yourself if you've ever asked these questions. How long, Lord? Must I call for help, but you do not listen? Job part two, right? How long must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Let's just be real honest for a second. Anybody ask that question? I have. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why do you tolerate injustice? By the way, if you're going to ask that question, make sure you have an understanding of what justice is. 
Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Same thing Habakkuk's asking. So when we begin to read this prophecy, we can look at our own lives. We can look at some of the questions that we have. Right now, it almost seems as though we're listening to a kindred spirit here. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. In other words, a typical day on earth, right? Therefore, the law, that law, God, that you gave us, that law that you gave to the Israelites, that law that you gave through Moses that told us what to do and charges or consequences if we didn't do it, that law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. Why did you give the law in the first place if you weren't going to enforce it, live it out? The wicked, him, and the righteous, so the justice is perverted. In other words, are you indifferent, God, to the sin I see around me? If you are all-knowing and all-powerful, then it seems to me that you just don't care. How long are you going to let evil go undisciplined or evil even unpunished? Remember, these are Habakkuk's people, not someone else. These people violate your righteous decrees. They violate your perfect standard. And the law, the law is powerless. It has no teeth. Now, these might seem like reasonable questions that Habakkuk is posing to God or reasonable complaints that Habakkuk is posing. But when we pose these same things, sometimes we may forget a couple of things. Number one is this. Habakkuk is saying, what? These people are evil. They violate your law. They violate your perfect standard. Smite them, right? Do something. Smite them. Correct them. Discipline them. Punish them. They have violated your perfect law. If God is going to send fire from heaven to smite anyone who breaks his standard of perfection, we better be under a pretty strong roof, right? We better be under a pretty strong roof. You violate God's standard of perfection, I violate God's standard of perfection. It's not an excuse to ignore it. It's not an excuse to say that it's okay. It's reality. Certainly as we're dealing with other people and we're wanting forgiveness and offering forgiveness, Church, if you have accepted Jesus, you are righteous. You are not good. You understand that? Righteous and good are not the same thing. Righteous means that you have been placed in a right standing before God because of what Jesus did in spite of you trying to screw it up your whole life. Right? You are righteous. And don't ever let anybody tell you you're not if you've accepted Jesus because his promise is secure. But that doesn't mean that you or me are good. There's a lot of bad that still happens. And again, that's not an excuse to say, so what? Well, if that's the way it is, then I don't have to think about it. No, we need to pursue righteousness as well, right? We are righteous, not good. Keep that in mind. And this leads to the second thing that we forget when we want God to smite the evildoers. God's incredible patience. Yes, God loves justice, but he loves mercy just as much. And we should be eternally grateful for the patience and mercy that God has. And why does he do this? To draw to him, convict the heart of those who would reject him. But he also has incredible patience for the righteous among them. Let me put it this way. 
We're going to find out that Nebuchadnezzar comes in and sacks Jerusalem and all of Judah. He doesn't just hurt the sinners and the evil people. He sacks everybody, right? And so God is merciful. He is patient because he wants that all people be saved. You know, Jesus said something very similar to this. And, and you need to understand this in your own life as you interact with difficulty, hardship, temptation, evil around you. God, why don't you smite that person? God says, why don't I be patient? Why don't I show mercy? Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says this. Jesus told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. First of all, make sure you're wheat and not weeds. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Didn't you sow good seed in your field, in your creation, in your church? The enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked the same thing Habakkuk asked. Maybe the same thing you asked. Do you want us to go pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Nebuchadnezzar came in and decimated the entire nation in this judgment. No, he answered. You don't want to destroy both of them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn, and there will be a harvest. That's actually the sad part. That's the scary part. A bunch of weeds growing up with the wheat, thinking they're wheat. Make sure you know who Jesus is. Make sure you know what he's done for you. Make sure you give your life to him. So far, I know it sounds like we should not be like Habakkuk, kind of the way I'm teaching this, but that's not true. It's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say keep things in perspective of your own life as well and the character of God. When you look at the world around you or a fallen people, a fallen culture, or your own people, and you want punishment dished out, notice we can be like Habakkuk. What are the motives for his complaints? The motives for Habakkuk's complaints to God is not an affront to himself that angers Habakkuk, but it's the affront to God's law that angers him. And this church is Christ-like indeed. Look at the ministry of Christ. The guy never gets upset, never loses his temper, never yells, never none of this stuff, right? But we do see, particularly, and probably sticks out in everybody's mind, one scene where Jesus is pretty upset. He's pretty angry like Habakkuk. Walking into the temple and starts flipping over tables. It wasn't the cross that got Jesus angry. It wasn't the, the embarrassment that they tried to heap upon him. It wasn't the, the you name it, a hundred other things that happened to Jesus. It was when there was an affront to something holy and sacred, particularly his father. That's what made him angry. That's what was driving, not a loss of control, by the way, but anger. This is the same thing that's driving Habakkuk and his anger. It wasn't personal insults. 
but it was the insult towards God. Look, if you live in a culture or you interact with a people and you're angry or confused or frustrated, why is that? Is it for his glory or is it for yours? You ever wonder why these apostles we read about can do this and do that, go through hardship, struggle, difficulty, and still talk about joy and peace and still apply it to their lives? Because what angers them or what frustrates them or what they're talking about or the things they want to stand up for have nothing to do with threats to themselves and their own pride or their own plans. What they live for is God himself. This is what motivates them. It's what's motivating Habakkuk. We get upset with people or groups or cultures around us. Why? Not because it's an affront to God, but because it's an affront to what we want. And then we walk around filled with fear and anxiety, wringing our hands, filled with anger, wondering where God is. God says, why do you care? You're not even thinking about me anyway. You're thinking about yourself. Habakkuk doesn't care about himself. He cares about his creator who has saved him and is going to live with forever. He cares about his God and his king. All of these giants of scripture cared about that. A lot more than themselves. What's the motivation behind your anger? Is it truly the glorification of God? Or is it the glorification of yourself? Is it for God's glory or is it for yours? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? Some great lines in there. Watch them. There's only three Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> only three. But God does answer Habakkuk. Habakkuk wants revival. But God answers him with judgment. He says, you want revival? Nope. I'm bringing judgment. There's a time when judgment does come. There is a time for the harvest. Chapter 1, 5 through 11, he, this is God responding. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days, listen, that you would not believe even if I told you or even if you were told. God, why don't you reveal to me how and when and why you're going to work? What does he tell Habakkuk, this prophet and man of God? You wouldn't believe me anyway. Right? We ever wanted to know the mind of God, the answers of God, the plan of God? I mean, if this isn't Job, I don't know what is. Job, Job says to God, what's happening? Why is it happening? And he says, stand up, you're going to answer me like a man. Where were you, Job, when I built this whole cosmos? You don't know what's going on. You know what I allow you to know. Even to Habakkuk, he says, I'm already ten steps ahead of you, and you wouldn't understand it or believe it, even if I told you. Habakkuk's a dog chasing carts. If he ever did catch it, he wouldn't know what to do with it. Right? We want to confront God about his creation instead of live by faith. And God says, if I told you, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. 
So let me, if you might be so kind, run my cosmos. Right? Because our job is to trust God with our lives. It's to trust Him with who we are, what we are. It's to trust Him with our very identity. That's what Luke was talking about. When we don't see tomorrow, and we don't understand everything, and God's not going to work the way we think it ought to play out, our job is to trust Him. This is where you get this incredibly famous quote, this same prophecy, and we see it throughout the Old Testament, used time after time after time. Behold the proud... His soul is not upright in him, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk 2.4. And that's quoted time after time after time in the New Testament. It comes from right here. Those who are in a right standing before God will live by trust in him without having all the answers or knowing when God's going to work or how he's going to work or why he's going to work. God says, trust me. He wants to run his own cosmos, right? But he says, fine. Habakkuk, I'll tell you in verse 6. He says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. By the way, I'm going to send them to discipline the people who profess my name. Sounds like some bad dudes. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, I hope you might be saying that. It's the same thing Habakkuk says. They're fiercer than wolves at dust. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. The Babylonians were a powerful group of people. He's going to send the Babylonians to destroy Judah, Jerusalem, and carry off its people. Now, this is the exile that God always knew was going to happen. You've heard of the exile before. They're exiled in Babylon for 70 years. He always knew this was going to happen. It will not be abandonment of his people, but it will be correction and judgment for the very things Habakkuk is talking about. And the Babylonians are going to come in and lay waste to the country and carry off her people. Now, this comes as a revelation to Habakkuk. God, where are you? What are you doing? When are you going to work? Why are you going to work? How are you going to work? When is this going to happen? Come on, listen to my complaints that I'm supposed to be telling. As though I'm informing God, what Habakkuk fails to realize is this is the same prophecy that God and Isaiah had a conversation about 130 years before Habakkuk was even born. Don't ever think God doesn't know what's going on or is going to know or knows what is going to go on. God's not two steps ahead of you and me. He's an eternity ahead of you and me. Our job is to trust Him with our lives. 
Say, God, I'm going to walk by faith, not by fear. I'm going to walk by faith, not by fear. I'm not going to wring my hands every time I hear about something bad happening. I'm certainly not going to wring my hands every time there's some sort of little affront and slight to me. Are you that weak? Live by faith, not by fear. God knows you. He created you by name. He loves you, and he wants you to live with him forever. And I understand why he does with some of us. Now, that's the truth is, sometimes if we really look at ourselves, we do ask that question. Why would God create me by name? Why would he want to live with me forever? Why would he even deign to allow me to look into some of his heart and his life and his mind? Because it's not about you. It's about who he is. It's about what he is. It's about how much Jesus loves you. It's all about the glorification of Christ. Church, if you realize that God is always in eternity ahead of you, and the reason for your anger is an affront to Him, not yourself, then you begin to realize God can take care of Himself. God can take care of Himself. Suddenly, instead of anxiety, we start seeing peace and joy come back into our lives. Because we know the King of Kings is still on His throne. That everything we've ever experienced in our entire lives, He can hold in the very palm of His hand. And He is well in control of His creation. He may not run it the way you do, but that's probably a good thing. Right? The only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Right? Sorry, Grace, I feel the same way. <laughs> Tired of this nonsense. For those of you who get angry over the iniquities of man, what do we learn? I love what Paul says, oh, what a wretched man am I. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. What do we learn? Recognize your own sinfulness, not just the sinfulness of others. Be frustrated by your own sin. Be frustrated by your own sin. I'm not saying you have to walk around as though you're not forgiven, but be frustrated by your own sin. Turn your laughter to mourning, to tears over your own sin. Number two, what did we learn? What was the motivation for Habakkuk's anger? Habakkuk's anger, it was an affront, not to himself, but to God. What else have we learned through this? God is patient, wanting none to be separated, but desiring that all men might be saved. Number four, in God's perfect timing, judgment does come, though to us it may seem like he tarries. He waited 130 years at least since the prophet Isaiah to the prophet Habakkuk, but the, prophet, but the promise was made and it was fulfilled. Has he not said the same thing to you and me? There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a time when the fact that you gave your life over to Jesus is going to be recognized when your faith is going to become sight. He says there's going to be a harvest. Then he will say to those that is right, come and eat at my father's table. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. You know, some people read the prophets 
as they address nations. And they think the prophecies and these types of prophets are about the cultures in which they live. It's not. It's about you. It's about your response to the promises of God living amongst a wicked and adulterous generation. That's what the prophecies are about. Your response to God's promises, His character, His character, and His perfect standard that He applies to this creation. Next week, we're going to look at Habakkuk's response to God's response. Habakkuk says there's a lot of problems. God says, don't worry about it, Habakkuk. I'm going to send the Babylonians to completely decimate this entire area. Habakkuk's response, whoa, whoa, back up just a little bit. And again, God says, kindly let me run this my way. Kindly let God run your life. After all, if you believe in Jesus, haven't you given your life to Jesus? Isn't that what we say? It's hard to let go of things we're attached to, though, isn't it? Sometimes we're even attached to fear, anxiety, unrest in our lives. We get so used to it that it's hard to throw it away. That's what God wants. Throw away the bad stuff. Give it to Him. Live by faith, even if you don't see tomorrow. Live by faith, not by fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can learn some incredible lessons in amazing stories, just amazing stories that you have laid out for us. And Father, we also thank you that you've granted us this gift, this gift of your word written down that we might read and apply. And so Father, we ask, I ask, Father, with this group here today that has heard these words, that we might apply these lessons. That we don't have to like sin, Father, but let us not wring our hands and ruin the beauty of life Help us to trust you, that you know and you care, and you are always further ahead than we are, that our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways are not your ways. Help us to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. You stood before the creation So long.
sin out there might even be in your own heart your own mind if that's the kind of sin that angers you and frustrates you that's good get rid of that stuff give more and more to your life to Jesus but sin outside of you you don't have to like it but don't let it paralyze you don't let it paralyze you with fear or fret over it all day long Know that God is on his throne. Talk to him. Pray for people that sin against you. Aren't we told to do this all the time? Watch the change that happens in your own life. That's a promise given by God and, frankly, I'll say it, repeated by me. I've lived through that with specific people in my life. Do it. See what happens. Don't be paralyzed by these things. God knows his creation. He knows the heart and mind of every person you interact with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get to trust you with our lives. That that is, that is the yoke. That's the burden. And it is light. Just to trust you. Trust your promises. Trust your perfection. We get to trust that we, we, we get to participate in the same love for others that you have for us. What a light burden. What an easy yoke. What an incredible gift you've given to us. Father, when we leave this place, until we meet again, may we lay our lives at your feet and trust who you are, what you are, your incredible power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.